World War I proved that women could do the work of men and do it just as well. When war broke out, more than a million women joined the workforce, taking up jobs in heavy industry, offices, transport and police patrols, often leaving the narrow confines of domestic life. Yet this success was short-lived, and at the end of the war many were thrown out of their jobs as the troops returned, or else forced back into more traditional women's work, often in domestic service. Adventurous, independent women, who during the war had experienced an intoxicating period of liberation, were to be once again confined to the kitchen. Two women dismissed for every man. With the end of the war in sight and peace in the air, thousands of women war workers are asking themselves, what will peace mean to me? Nina Lars was just 19 and fresh out of finishing school in London when war broke out, and she immediately signed up to join the war effort, travelling to London to work as an orderly in Endell Street Military Hospital, a British military hospital run by the formidable suffragette doctors Louisa Garrett Anderson and Flora Murray, and staffed entirely by women. Having been trained to become a fine Edwardian wife and mother, she now found herself working 80-hour weeks, bearing stretchers, washing and incinerating sheets, and attending to the war wounded. Nina is survived by her granddaughter, Annie Fox, who has carefully kept and transcribed her letters and journals, which give us an extraordinary window onto her experiences during and after the war. I think Hendel Street affected my grandmother all her life, and she did often refer to it. I think it probably gave her a very resilient outlook on the world. But I have to say that she was able to deal with Endell Street, I think, because of her family being a very loving family, and that gave her inner strength as well. Tell me about Nina's first impressions of working at Endell Street Military Hospital. She was entirely focused on wanting to help the dear men, but I think one of her first impressions was of monumental, hard physical labour, which she hadn't perhaps been used to at all. And I think it took a great deal out of her, but she, as it were, put her back into it and embraced the fatigue and the exertion that it involved. Everything she told me and from her letters and her diary and what she left out, I think it was a monumental challenge because suddenly to see very severely wounded people, to hear their cries and screams, to be short of food, which they were, to have very long hours and short of sleep and be sleeping in a very smelly room, I think she described, which you could smell the burning severed limbs and stuff, I think must have been pretty horrific. What do you think working among... The suffragette doctors, Marianne Anderson, was like, what impression did that have on her? I think that had a very big impression. She was herself a suffragette. Working with the suffragette doctors really affected her deeply. She herself was very keen on the suffrage movement. But I'm not sure that during the actual war, the idea of women's votes was uppermost. I think their the entire energy was consumed with having to do the manual work and the labour that they were doing to help the war effort. I was struck when reading her letters about her descriptions of what it was to be like in the room with uh, Murray and Anderson, like these formidable women. And do you think that had an impression on her later life? I think that she and her sister, and probably all of them, had such deep respect and awe, total awe actually, for what they called their dear COs. What was Nina's experience after the war? I mean, immediately after the war had ended. Immediately after the war had ended, 
I think her sister, her health had broken down during the war with all the hard work. She was invalided out, but Nina had to stay on because they signed on like soldiers did and they weren't released because of the influenza epidemic. So she stayed on at Mendel Street till December 1919. And what about this experience after the war when she was invited to all these theatre... Um. (laughs) After the war, when they were invited to people's homes, when they invited to give them theatre tickets, when they had more to eat, when life was encroaching again, they did music. She was very musical. She acted as well, but I don't know if she'd acted then, but she'd acted before, certainly. And I think it was just, it was wonderful that, of course, for that first year after the war, very much tempered with the huge loss of life in the Spanish influenza. But I think when she was finally demobbed, goodness knows, it must have been like going from hell to heaven, really. It was gruelling work, and Nina's letters and journals from the time document just how exhausted she was. But as the war finished, there was also a sense they had done something extraordinary, and for a brief period, the Endell Street women were treated as heroes, showered in gifts and theatre invitations. Yet as they returned home, and the task of post-war reconstruction began, they found their status in society began to change. We were given army of occupation pay, and found we were looked upon as little heroines. Opera, theatre, cinema and concert tickets were showered upon us. Invitations to dances and parades came, where choice seats were offered us. When I was demobilised shortly before Christmas, I felt like all the other young people, dazed and unsettled. Those last few months in London had been extremely enjoyable. I had been receiving Army of Occupation sergeant's pay, over £4 a week, a lot for a woman in those days. Our smart and attractive uniform made one feel somebody. I had three people working under me. Now that I was at home, I felt a poor little nobody. I felt I could not be idle, yet knew not what to do. It was amusing to be spoken to by some of them in a patronising manner, as if they were the first to help in a war. I soon found the young moderns could not understand and did not like any mention of World War I. And so I just smiled and looked as if I had never done anything. When the dust from the war settled, Nina soon fell in love and married Ronald Courage on the 11th of November, Armistice Day. This was the life she had been so dutifully prepared for before the war, the life of a middle-class wife and mother. Yet as her journals from the time extensively document, it was far from domestic bliss in her household. One of the very sad things, which I'm sure Nina shared with some other people, a lot of other women, was um, her marriage because coming from a very, very loving, close family and falling in love as she did very soon after she was demobbed and she wanted to literally go off into the sunset and have a happy life and a lovely family. I think both she and my grandfather were victims of the war, actually, because my grandfather spoke seven languages. He was in the front, in the trenches and everything. Nina obviously hadn't had a boyfriend at all during the whole war. It was love at first sight, but on reflection, it was probably infatuation, and she had the most devastating and miserable time in her marriage. And some of that has only come out since I read her diaries. He forbade any of us to buy anything in the village shop, which was also the post office. This made things extremely awkward for me, especially as he would seldom allow me to drive the car. He would not pay me any housekeeping money into the bank and I had to keep strict accounts and show every single bill before I could get anything from him. In those days, one never mentioned matrimonial troubles, and in any case, I was too proud to even hint at mine. 
And what was it like for you reading about um, Nina's marriage all those years later? When I read about it, it fleshed out even more things than I knew. I had met my grandmother shortly before she died. She came up to London to, she was doing some writing and she went to the British Library and I met her for tea. And she told me one incident where she'd had a little car, but she was not allowed to park it in their drive. Um, And another incident when my grandfather pointed a, a gun out of the window at her. And I thought that was terrible. But when I read some other things, um, her best friend, for example, going to stay with them that she'd known for years. And then she went down in the middle of the night because her husband wasn't up and found her best friend sitting on her husband's knee in a compromising position, for example. I just don't know how anyone deals with that, to lose a husband and a friend in the same second. Yeah, so what do you think it was like for Nina going from working at Endell Street um, around these formidable women and with this spirit of freedom and women can do whatever they want to do to being in the confines of this marriage? I think for Nina, when she'd left Endell Street with all the responsibility she'd had, with the example of the two wonderful CEOs, with women being empowered to do things, that the sky was the limit, that they could look after people, they could do whatever they wanted, they weren't inferior... My grandfather was incredibly intelligent, um, and so was my grandmother, so I think they clashed horns like stags, probably. I think it must have been very difficult, and they were very isolated living in in a farm, so it must have been very hard for her. Her journals from the time, which document the suffering she endured in her private life after the war, make for poignant reading. Nina's story feels strangely symbolic. From the extraordinary experience of liberation working at Endell Street to the cloistered domestic circumstances of her marriage, unable to tell anyone of her situation for fear of reputation and rules of impropriety. It seems incredible to think how she went from working alongside the suffragettes, where she was told that women can do anything if they put their mind to it, to such a claustrophobic and isolated situation, so tightly controlled by a man. In many ways, it's a very modern story one which demonstrates the all-too-often disconnect between the public realm and the advances made for women's rights and the private world, and so how these changes play out in women's personal experiences. Despite women getting the vote in 1918, thanks to the extraordinary efforts of women like Flora Murray and Louisa Garrett Anderson, it would be decades later until the personal is political became a rallying cry of second-wave feminism, making the case for how the personal experiences of women were connected to wider social and political structures. Of course, Nina's story is not only one of a woman's suffering. It also tells a tale of the damage war wreaked on the minds of young men who had fought in the war and the chaos this caused in the attempt to return to a normal domestic life. And far from one of victimhood, Nina's story is also one of resilience, endurance and strength. Every time she mentioned Endell Street, which was frequently but not in depth when we were children, I realised even then, although I wish I'd asked her more deeply questions, I realised that it did have a very immensely powerful effect and she was always telling me, don't ever think you just have to go and get married. You can do whatever you want to do. So I think the combination of her loving family, her pioneering mother, and also very much Endell Street and what it taught her, stood her in great stead throughout many years of incredible heartache in her marriage. Can you just tell me finally about some of her achievements after the divorce and her life after the divorce? After her very public and painful divorce, she didn't just sit down, but she started working for the Red Cross and she became a district commissioner for that. She took up 
gardening in a very enthusiastic way. She became a JP, as I mentioned. She was actively involved in her local community. She particularly helped single mothers, and she was always having people around who seemed to have no husbands for, and for us to play with their children when we went to stay with her. So I think she just gave her all, really. And she loved people, that was the thing, and I think anyone in need could go to her. But she wasn't a soft option. You had to behave. Her nickname, the Battle Axe, was actually given to her, I think, after the war because she was tireless in fighting for different causes. But you knew that underneath the fierceness was a heart of gold and she wanted your absolute best interests. This is part of a series of Heritage podcasts created by Digital Drama with support from the Heritage Lottery Fund. We would like to thank the project's archive partners, the Women's Library LSE and Camden Borough Archives, as well as Annie Fox, Wendy Moore, Tudor Allen and Dr. Jenny Ann Geddes for taking part in the recordings. We are also grateful to Dr. Heather Sherd and the residents and staff of Dudley Court Sheltered Housing. The volunteers who have worked on the creations of these podcasts were Elise Hill, Mary Marimutu, Annette Baniak, Zoe Gelber, Sarah McLean, Renata Rothwell, Joan Phillips, Ruby Hornsey, Sarah Davidson, Rachel Prosser, and Charlie Foreman. And the readings are by Elise Hill, Freddie Chick, and Sarah McLean. The podcasts were recorded on location at Dudley Court and in the Maiden Lane Community Centre recording studios, with the assistance of Violet MacDonald and Marianne Larragie from Camden Community Radio. Music